Beyond the Mic with Sean Dillon. We're joined on the star line by an award-winning researcher and author, board member for the Society of American Baseball Researchers, written many critically acclaimed books, but his latest one is about cheating. We welcome author of Intentional Balk, Dan Levitt. Great to be here. Thank you. Dan, let's go beyond the mic. How do you go from industrial engineering degree at Wisconsin to real estate to author of multiple books on baseball? You know, we all sort of have different hobbies or passions that keep us interested outside of our normal day job, which I actually happen to really enjoy. So I, I don't mean it anyway like that. But I've, I've always been interested in baseball and I've always been interested in history. And it, you know, during the 90s, after I'd been a member of the Society of, of American Baseball Research for a while, I, I realized that, you know, there was an opportunity here to sort of explore this and use my creativity. And, you know, some people are scratch golfers. Other people have great carpentry uh, workout working rooms in their garage. And I happen to be interested in baseball history and how things turn out the way they do. Now, cheating has been going on in the major leagues since baseball was created. Cheating's Part of the game. If you aren't cheating, you aren't trying. What scandal was hard for you to even believe? Wow, that's an interesting question. I, I think, you know, I don't know that any of them were really hard to believe. Uh, to just as an aside, what I, to me, the more people that are around the scandal, um, you, you know, I mean, one of the things that, that when you have all these people engaged and it doesn't come out till years later, I mean, my, my, issue with conspiracy theories is if more than two people know a secret, it's going to get out. And yet you, you have these, some of these sign stealing scandals, whether it's the Houston Astros recently or the giants in 1951, or even earlier ones that, that would come out. You, you have whole teams engaged. I mean, the first one occurred in 1899 and then 1900 with the Phillies. And even that didn't really come out until one of the players spoke for attribution, a pitch, a, Similar to the to the Astros, a pitcher who had been traded came out and talked about it back in, you know, 1900 and 1899. And so to me, the most interesting thing is how you have some of these scandals that have multiple people in very intricate plots, and yet they've stayed secret. In your book, Intentional Bach, you created the Hornsby Doctrine, named after the Henri Rogers Hornsby, which states, quote, baseball players and others within the game will and should find ways to break and bend the rules. It's the job of the authorities to stop them, unquote. You could find rules broken plenty of places, plenty of situations. Where is that line between good and evil? I mean, they can only <laughs> stop games so many times for so many reasons. I mean, if they try to police everything, games would take four or five hours and pretty much be boring. Right. So I think there's a couple of differentiations. One is this idea, and what, what Hornsby was talking about at the end of that quote, was that it's up to the umpire to catch you. So if it's something that is on the field, you know, we all learned from when we're playing Little League Baseball that if you trap the ball in the outfield, you hold up your mitt and basically say you caught it. Uh, and so I think there's, there's one set of things where if you can get away with it on the field, that there's this idea that it's the umpire's job to catch you. It's not your job to tell them, what, tell them that you did something wrong. The same way if you're playing basketball and you step on the end line, people aren't going to hand the ball to the ref. It's his job to say you stepped on the end line. So I, I think that's one level of where there's, a, there's clearly a line drawn where we, we call it cheating and yet we don't necessarily – hold it against a player 
or condemn him for, for doing those actions. It gets a lot more nebulous and, and, and much more clear that it's cheating when it's something that there's no real way to detect. And that's why, you know, Keith Hernandez has talked about this, the first baseman for the Mets and um, who, who wrote a book. It basically talks about, you know, that's why sort of putting pint on the ball in some ways is different than corking a bat because corking a bat, there's no real way to catch you. And, and just to go back to your last comment, which I think is exactly right, that there's a cost, not necessarily in terms of dollars, but just in terms of energy and the way it changes the game to trying to police stuff. And that what happens in baseball is that stuff that, that is sort of at, at a low level that it really costs in the broader sense more to police than it does to let it go. And then what happens at some point, somebody comes up with a new innovation like spider tech and high speed video where you can really manufacture and design pitches. And all of a sudden you have what was just sort of everybody driving 65 in a 60 mile an hour speed zone to where now it's everyone's driving 85 and you have this, this chaos. Like the outrage, George Brett coming out of the dugout, being called out for too much pine tar all the way to the players who jump and folk catch a ball over the fence for the third out and then run run back and uh, still run out the ball. Why are these moments necessary for baseball? Well, I think some of the stuff with the umpires that we were just talking about, I think a lot of that has been taken away with the instant replay and the challenge play, which I think has sort of gone too far. My own take, and this is just opinion, is that if it takes more than 30, if it takes more than 30 seconds to say that the umpires got it wrong, you just let it stand and you move on because at some point, you know, staring at some slide over second base to try and figure out whether the hand came off for a split second is just not, to me, what what we should be doing. But I, I don't, I, so I think that we've taken care of that. And I think that baseball has actually done a pretty good job. Maybe it's a little bit slow sometimes, but of recognizing where there's issues, um, you know, whether it's the sign stealing, which obviously caused a whole lot of commotion, um, or the, you know, spider tack on the baseball. And coming up with a solution that's, you know, only nominally intrusive. I mean, I think having the pitchers come off and looking at their hands is probably a reasonable solution. Dan Levitt, author of Intentional Balk, joins us beyond the mic. Dan, how has baseball changed for the better or the worse since you grew up? (laughs) Let me me say this, because, I mean, I think there's some analytics in that question, and I, I would take this. To me, it's the job of the team to to try and win. And if analytics and, and doing, you know, all this pitch design and the shift and, you know, working every count to three and two is, is good, then the team should do it. It's up to baseball to try and make the game work better. I, I you know, look, I, everybody likes, ba- everything was better when you were 12, right? I mean, that's just part of human nature, but I would say, you know, having games that were two and a half hours, not having every batter go to a three and two count. You know, some people would actually swing at the first pitch, although maybe we're getting back to it a little bit. I, you know, I don't know. I, I guess I, you know, you had starting pitchers who generally worked to the seventh inning and you knew who they were. That made it kind of fun too. So I, I don't know. I mean, if you're asking me, but right. I mean, we all love everything from our youth. I mean, right, I, so, but I, I do think there was a lot of good stuff about the game, you know, 50, 40, 50 years ago. Dan, has analytics made baseball worse? Should banning the shift be done long, long ago? I mean, well, again, I think that the teams tried to get ahead. I, you know, it's, 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 the shift is a hard thing. To, first of all, I don't know how much difference the shift really makes, 
Um, although I think well, that, Corey Seager I, would think that you were wrong. <laughs> well, I think, right. I think that there are certain left-handers, Joey Gallo, I'm up in Minnesota and a Twins fan, Max Kepler, I think has been hurt particularly hard, but obviously you can't shift the same way against a righty as you can against the lefty because you have to have somebody there at first base. Um, so I think it hurts particular players more than others. I, you know, I, I think that, Again, I think it's the job of the teams to try and figure out how to win, and it's the job of the, of, of, of the owners and the leagues to try and figure out how to um, make the game watchable. I, I don't have a problem with banning the shift. I, I don't like it in theory, but you know, all those years the NBA banned the zone defense to try and make it so players could, you know, be more exciting. I, I, I don't, I don't have a problem with it. Dan, it's time for the Rocky Nade. It's eight random questions answered with the first thing that comes to your mind. There is no pressure. What's the best baseball game you've ever seen? Uh, well, I'm a Twins fan, so I'd say 87, 1987, Game 7. Twins win their first World Series and first championship here really forever, unless you count the Minneapolis Lakers. How about the favorite moment to you, not including that game? Um, well, I mean, just from personally, I was at a fun game where uh, Blylevin got his 3,000 strikeout. I think Puckett hit for the cycle in that same game. I'd have to go back and check because – but. I remember that game well, and I think that's what happened. So that was just a lot of fun for me. Now, Dan, should there be a steroid wing in the Baseball Hall of Fame? No. Why? I don't know. We know. We, we don't know. I mean, part of the what's 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 most interesting about one of the most interesting things about steroids is we, we don't know. We don't know who's guilty. Um, there's right. I mean, the only people we know were the people that came out of the Mitchell reports generally before the testing, and that was based on sort of what was publicly available and a couple of, you know, people associated with teams who talked. We don't know anything about the other teams. Um, so I, I just think that we, it, it's, it's just too, there's just too much uncertainty around the whole thing to, to have any idea of who, we, of, of who would go there and who wouldn't. Who would get into the Baseball Hall of Fame first? Now I'm going to put you to the test here. Shoeless Joe Jackson <laughs> or Pete Rose after he passes? Uh, I don't think either of them are going to be in for a long, long time. <laughs> but I would say, I don't know. I don't... <laughs> I don't have a good answer for you on that. I think they both have a long wait. There's, 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 there's sort of a different um, constituency pushing each. I don't know. I'd say Joe Jackson because the memory's shorter. I mean, farther longer ago. And so, you know, the, the stigma's sort of starting to wear off. But I don't. You've covered plenty of commissioners in this book. Who is the best and worst baseball commissioner of all time? You know, I, I don't know. They, they all sort of, it's like, you know, they all have positive and good parts. I mean, one of the fun things about this book is that a lot of the people that we sort of think are really great, Branch Rickey and Bill Vack and Hank Greenberg, are some of the people who sort of tolerated cheating. <laughs> um, it, although everybody, when I talk about Vack and Greenberg, I talk about sign stealing in the 20th century, and everybody tolerated that. So I, I, I don't really know. Spike Eckert in the 60s is generally viewed as, um, being the worst, right? I mean, the, he was the general of the, the Air Force general who was commissioner for about three years. And um, I don't know whether it was one, one of the sports writers said, my God, they've hired the unknown soldier when they uh, made him commissioner. So I think he, he was pretty, uh, pretty worthless. And, and the best, I, I don't know. I mean, there's, <laughs> it's hard to give anybody a whole lot of credit for, for what goes on. Um, 
you know, I think, you know, Happy Chandler stood behind the, the, the Jackie Robinson um, integration, which, although he did a lot of stuff people didn't like, too. Um, the banning of Jerosha was sort of strange. So I, I don't mean to ramble on about baseball history, but it, it, that's a hard one. I mean, Selig and Manfred, I mean, Selig had a lot of positives, sort of turn it up and turn the game around. But, you know, obviously there was a lot of negatives there as well. As vice president for Ryan Companies, you know about capital markets and commercial real estate. Which major league baseball stadium should be destroyed completely for humanity? And if you say anything other stadium than Oakland, I'm going to be highly suspicious your choice <laughs> well the only other one obviously is tampa bay okay right? i'll allow it so i mean those two are obviously you know the the, the issue is the older ones are still the, the older ones that are left are pretty good obviously fin you know fenway and wrigley but even kansas city i mean i like that stadium um dodger stadium i mean you know so i i think baseball's in a pretty good spot other than oakland and tampa that's that's number two on my list who is your worst fantasy football league draft pick um I think I took Randall Cunningham the year that he broke his leg back in the 90s. Number one overall. Dan, you love baseball. I've been lucky to see Tom Seaver, Nolan Ryan, seventh no-hitter. Wow. Who is the best baseball player you've ever seen play live? Uh, You know, I would say Randy Johnson. I would say that when he was on, there was – nobody that could do the stuff he did. The one no-hitter I actually saw was Jose Jimenez. I uh, was down in Phoenix, and, and Randy Johnson was the opposing pitcher. And I think Johnson only gave something, gave up something like two hits uh, or, or three. I don't remember exactly, but it was a hell of a game. But, you know, go, basically going to games in Minnesota in the 90s when, when, when Johnson was on Seattle, he, when he was on, it was just like the batters had no chance. And I'm sure Ryan was the same way. And I've saw Ryan a few times, but maybe it was just because Johnson was so tall and he had that lefty thing going. You just felt like against a lefty, he was just, you just didn't see how a lefty was ever going to get a hit off. Author of Intentional Balk, Dan Levitt joins us beyond the mic. It's time for the back half. Dan, tell us the story about the first time you met your co-author at a convention and how a wonderful friendship between the two of you developed from that one moment. Yeah, you know, I would just say again, for relative to Society for American Baseball Research, you know, one of the great, then I obviously encourage anybody listening to join, that you just make a lot of friends too. It's just, so Mark and I, there was a old Sabre, Sabre still has it, but an E-list, right? At the time in the late 90s, this was kind of cool. You know, people would post and talk about stuff. and. I was on it. Mark was on it. Other people were on it. And I ended up meeting him at a convention after we had both been posting and we had both sort of recognized that we were sort of thought alike about a lot of things and the way the world worked, obviously, particularly in baseball. And we just hit it off and really, and, and really became friends having, you know, it had been introduced through the C-list and then actually getting to meet in person. Now in your book, Dan, you covered the recent cheating by the Astros and Red Sox. In your opinion, were the penalties harsh enough or were they just flaps on their wrist for players, managers, and even ownership? Well, it's it's complicated, and I know you're looking. I mean, it, that that's part of the problem. And that's kind of the fun of writing this book is that it's it's all nuanced. I mean, the the, the baseball never really had rules against sign stealing. They had they had rules against the electronic communication with the and Apple watches and things like that. Yeah, it was September fifteenth, or middle of September of 2017 when Manfred came out with his ruling 
basically on the Apple Watch scandal of Boston, where they were using the watch as the electronic device to receive stuff in the dugout. And the penalty on the Red Sox was was meaningful, but not severe. But in that, he Banford said, look, if anybody does this again, we're, we're, I'm going to come down much harder, and I'm going to come down on the manager and the GM. And, you know, in all fairness, that's what he did when it came out. He came down on the manager and the GM. You know, relative to the players, they had never really signed off on any penalties through the CBA, through the collective bargaining agreement. So it's hard to know what Manfred could have done. If you're asking me, if in some beautiful abstract world, whether or not players should have been punished for this, I'd say probably. Or, or you know, yeah, I mean, they, they knew they were doing something wrong and they wouldn't have gone so hard to hide it. That said, there was no real enforcement mechanism for players. And, you know, and in fairness to Manfred, he needed their testimony if he was going to figure out what was going on. And so it sounds like, you know, he had to grant them some sort of immunity to be able to to, to get their testimony. We'll hit a trash can for all the Astro fans. <laughs> now, Bill Vec, one of the legends in baseball, hired Eddie Goodell, a midget, for a game as a pinch hitter in 1951. Four straight balls, walks the first, gets lifted for a pinch runner. Now, Vec once said, quote, I try not to break the rules, but merely test their elasticity. Now, American League President Will Harrod, American League President Will Harridge voided Goodell's contract, which was funny because even though that did not break any American League or Major League Baseball rule, the contract was legal. Now, why are some rules enforced, some created just out of thin air? Yeah, you know, that, that's that's a great question because we, we talk about this. We, we use something called the consensual ethic, which is sort of what we, which we talk about, which is a little bit like the unwritten rules, but hopefully without the same connotations about you know, people have about unwritten rules and, you know, what's fair running across the diamond behind a pitcher or whatever. So, you know, I mean, to a certain degree, the players and and the managers really, and, and I mean, they, they sort of decide what's legitimate and what's not beyond the rules. Again, I use the, the traffic example of if everybody's driving 65 and it's and it works, then sort of umpires and players let it go, whether it's how often people are checked for, for sticky stuff in the old days or, you know, the neighborhood play at second base, which was never really enforced. So, you know, my take is that there's this sort of consensual ethic that has developed around certain things um, that that allows them to go. And everybody sort of lives with that um, because otherwise you know, the game would be materially different or you'd have this enforcement cost that would just change the game. What happens is that when, when something changes and this gets out of hand, whether it's, you know, people starting to take steroids in the 90s when there was no way to, to, to test it or, um, you know, sign stealing. I mean, sign stealing, you know, Bud Selig, near the end of his tenure as commissioner, basically talked about how back in the day when he was a friend, fan of the Milwaukee Braves, you know, Joe Adcock and Hank Aaron and, you know, and Eddie Matthews were all part of sign stealing, and he was sort of nostalgic about it. Um, and so, you know, it, 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 it's very much, um, it, it works until it doesn't, and then you have to do something quickly or it gets out of hand quickly. Dan, who would you think would be the best next commissioner for baseball? Wow. Um, that is a really interesting question, and I don't really have a very good answer for it. I think somebody like Jason Stark, the, 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 the writer for The Athletic, would be a great commissioner. He loves baseball. He knows everything. 
I, I you know, I, I think he'd be a great commissioner. You, you know, I, I would just say this because I've talked about this before. You know, baseball for ever since Judge Landis became commissioner had looked at looking for people from the outside as the commissioner. Um, and, and that's changed, right? I mean, Bud Selig was obviously an owner. Rob Manfred was, was a lawyer, was an attorney for the owners. So I think baseball's changed and who they would have be the commissioner. So I, I think there's a, there's been a change, but I'd love to see someone who we know love base loves baseball is really knowledgeable on it. Um, but isn't necessarily sort of formally attached. Now, would a former player be the best? I mean, former player would be great. I mean, I think if, you know, for the right player, I, I think, I think you know, if someone wanted to make George Brett commissioner or um, Doug Glanville commissioner, I heard talk a lot, I think Doug Glanville would be a great commissioner. Um, you know, I, I don't think, again, I don't think, <laughs> I think you'd have to have someone who the owners were fully engaged with, Some maybe Nolan Ryan, you know, who's been in ownership now, you know, or, league the team president i think you'd have to go that way but it's up to the owners but i i think someone knowledgeable but not necessarily beholden um would be great we've talked signals steroids gambling tiny people and it's all in your book intentional balk but dan what's the next controversy we'll be talking about well i i think there's a few that could be coming i think one of them is is medical right we all not we, not we all us older guys me anyway remember the bionic man from the from the 1970s, the, the Lee, Lee Major show. I mean, what if we can put shoulders or elbows in people? And I don't think it's that far off that um, are better than are better than what we have now. I mean, the whole idea behind PEDs is that you can't you can't en- enhance your natural ability because we believe in using medical science to get back to your natural ability. Whether it's Tommy John surgery, putting you know a tendon from your leg or wrist into your elbow, or you know, using cortisone shots so that you can play, right? I mean, all, all that stuff's legal. So I think sort of the um, medical side of it is is one thing, you know, gene therapy, right? I mean, are we going to see stuff around people trying to manipulate genes to get some sort of advantage? Um, you know, and then another thing would be this whole electronic strike zone if it comes. I, I don't know how it's going to work, but I'm assuming that you'd have to set it up Right, that a person would have their stance to, and then 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 you would figure out what each person's stance looks like, and so that would be the box for each person. Well, if you're Ricky Henderson and you crouch, you know maybe maybe you're gonna get someone in there who crouches down when they set his box, and then when he goes hit, and, right? I mean, there's just so many ways to try and fool with that. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I think if there's, you know, any the electronic stuff, I think we haven't seen the last of how there's might be ways to game that. Do you have any uh, thoughts on the pitch clock that's coming to Major League soon? I, I'm I'm in favor of the pitch clock. I mean, I I don't have a problem with it. I think we're it's going to have to be tweaked. Is it too long? Is it long enough? You know, is it long enough with a runner on base? But I, I'm, you know, again, I'm I've, I've actually looked at this a little bit, and you look at the number of balls in play per minute or the other way minutes you know and it's there's a lot fewer you know balls in play per minute or the other way around minutes how long it is before you see a ball in play if you're at a game so I I don't have a problem with trying to trying to speed the game up a little bit what's your next project you know I'm not really sure I'm having fun trying to you know get some excitement around this one and appreciate all your Kind words. I the, the thing that I would like, there's a guy named John McGraw who was a manager of the New York Giants 
Um, I see you nodding. Yeah, back in the first 30 years of the 20th century. And, you know, he's probably the biggest celebrity in baseball before Babe Ruth. And there's just so many stories about him. And he really sort of epitomized the coming of sport in America and the growth of baseball in New York. And I just think there's got to be some, you know, there's been a great biography written about him, but it was about 40 years ago. So then there's just been a lot of new stuff that's come out, um, you know, in the history of baseball. So I, I'd love to do something around John McGraw. It's time for one big question with author Daniel R. Levitt, author of the book, Intentional Balk, Be on the Mic. Dan, when did you first fall in love with baseball? You know, I don't know. I started going, it must have been the early 70s. I don't remember my first game, but my maternal grandparents used to take me to games. And I just really had a good time. Um, I played not past high school, but I always loved playing. So, you know, it's just one of those things. You know, viscerally, some things just seem to you really love. And baseball was one of those things. I just loved playing it. And even when I was playing it, I loved reading about it. He doesn't think Pete Rose will ever get into the Hall of Fame. Loves Game 7 of the 87 World Series. Would destroy Tampa Bay Stadium, as he should. Randy Johnson was one of the best pitchers he ever saw live. The book is Intentional Bach. Co-author Daniel R. Levitt, thanks for taking the time to talk with us today. My pleasure. Great to be here. And that, my friends, is Beyond the Mic. 